Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we have every reason to be thankful, first of all, for all things. Secondly, for how all things are being worked together for our good, since you've indicated everywhere that that your your people are right in the center of your will and your work. And therefore, we should never be surprised to see your hand and its consequence in our midst for intersecting with the lives of your people has always been your prerogative and your glory. So, Father, thank you for that. Thank you for uh, doing that in the past with so many upon whose shoulders we may stand. Certainly the authors of Scripture at the head of that list, but then others in our own lives that have made such a difference. And, uh, Father, I just thank you for them. We don't thank you enough for the influence others have had on us for your honor and glory, Father. So much focus on others that seek to destroy us and have in the past through lies and deceits and evils of many kinds. But, but Father, you have ordained so much for us and uh, even eternal life <laughs> whereby we are saved. Uh, what a wonderful thought. Father, uh, we... we uh, we praise you for uh, so many things, and we're just so thankful, Father, for our children and grandchildren and the way that you have reached out to them. Pray for uh, all those uh, still in the college environment, and we do pray that you protect them from all the evil lies and the evil doers who surround uh, all believers and all of us, certainly. Father, we're so thankful for all the believers you bring into our lives. Father, thank you even for the dark days, as where they can be a blessing too, as we find ourselves increasingly needing so much to look down upon these worldly matters from our heavenly position with you and your son and glory there where we are seated at your right hand. And Father, as we look down upon this earth, things become strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. And uh, Father, for some suffering so greatly, and for Father, and Father, for all those unspokens, we, we thank you that you know our hearts. Please open our hearts now to your word as we share together. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, let's launch into this marvelous subject, which is Romans dispensationally considered. Continuing today, part two of Who art thou, O man, that judges? Who art thou, O man, that judges? So just a quick review is all we'll have time for. And we're covering some of the same 
territory today as last time, so really uh, don't even need a review, I guess. But just just a little quick review. What we've seen already, as we've studied Romans chapter 1 and now entering into chapter 2, is that there was a time, in fact more than once, when all who were alive on this planet knew God. All knew God. There were two times. Once was at the original creation, and for some time after that, uh, all knew God. Uh, even after sin came upon the human race through Adam and Eve um, and their children, all knew God. Now, that does not mean they obeyed God, uh, and it also doesn't mean necessarily that they were believers, uh, that they were saved in whatever sense that term meant at the time, right? And it does mean different things at different times, of course, because God gives a different revelation at different times and provides a different hope for for uh, those that will believe God. But uh, there were two times when all knew God, once there early at the beginning, and then once during the flood, and afterwards, for some time, not long probably, but for a while, all knew God, Noah and his family, right? And they knew of the glory of God. They knew his power and glory. They knew his righteousness in a sense. I mean, they knew what had been revealed, and Righteousness was, I think, for them, largely a matter of knowing the righteous judgment of God that uh, the Lord God had uh, promised. He would judge evil, and he would judge evil in his way. But, of course, there was a way of deliverance. Uh, otherwise, uh, no one could ever have uh, been saved who was born into a sinful world, right, with, with uh, Adam's sin on his account or hers. So there was a, a way of, of deliverance revealed. And uh, and yet over time, that knowledge was lost. And so when Paul writes his letter to the Romans, he's writing nearly 4,000 years after the creation, nearly four millennia afterwards when Paul wrote the letter to the Romans. And so he's writing to to Gentiles who've been living under under sin, but with some revelation having given been given to them. First of all, in the heavenlies uh, itself, we've talked enough about that, uh, and then later, uh, of course, that that was passed down. Certain aspects of it, the interpretation of the signs that were in the heavens was passed down verbally from generation to generation, probably more and more incompletely with less and less truth, as you might expect, right? And remember, the enemy, of course, is always working to pollute the truth of God, to, in fact, deny it and to eliminate it altogether, if only he could. So 4,000 years passed. But God had revealed himself and his power and glory and uh, his uh, intention to judge 
the sin of the world in his way, in his time. Now, in Romans, we saw that there were several places, Romans chapter 1 and chapter 10, where Paul writes a lot about this. And in chapter 10, he actually referred to Psalm 19. So if you're forgetting Psalm 19, you need to go back and read that because uh, there's so much there, there about how God had revealed himself in the creation and the importance of that. Psalm 19. And that's the backdrop, really, of uh, what Paul preaches when he goes forth into Gentile territory. He first goes into the synagogues, preaches to the Jews, because it's a requirement, of course, that they accept that their Messiah has already come. So previously they were looking forward. Uh, many were looking forward to the coming of the promised one, the seed of the woman who had been prophesied at the beginning, right? Others had no interest at all, but uh, they needed to believe on their risen Messiah, right? And Paul preached the resurrection in the synagogues to that end, and so few believed. Some did, but so few, right? And then they went out with Paul as he separated himself from the synagogues and continued on preaching and teaching uh, the grace of God. And so that grace was available then, uh, through faith in Christ and in him alone, right? And so Paul's message of grace, we read about it in Acts in several places, where it actually says uh, that he preached grace after he left the synagogues. So that's where we've come here. And we looked a little bit, quite a lot, I guess I should say, at Paul's preaching there, in Athens, which was the uh, current center of life and uh, thinking there in the Greek world, even though Rome ruled the Greek world at that time, they had given quite a bit of uh, liberty to the Greeks, it seems, and you don't see much evidence of the Romans there, which is interesting to me. But uh, in any case, Paul reaches out to the Gentiles there in Athens and uh, preaches boldly to them and reminds them of what they already should have known concerning how God was holding them all accountable. No one had an excuse, in other words. And he then revealed to them that God had given a new sign. So the signs that had previously been given, God's glory and power in the creation and his righteous judgment, those signs are being set aside. He says, now there's a new one. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the sign now that one must receive for salvation. And he preaches that boldly to some, not uh, too much on Mars Hill because the focus was interrupted when there was a, dis a disagreement amongst those there in the, uh, in the Greek Supreme Court who were interrogating Paul regarding his teaching. A disagreement, and they said, we've had enough for now, maybe later. 
we'd like to know more. Goodbye. <laughs> and he went out and uh, continued on with those who really must have more from the apostle. And they received it and some were saved. So praise God for that. So what we've learned here so far is that uh, the Gentiles had a witness from God. And we're going to learn more today about how the Jews did as well and what that all came to in the end. <clears throat> because when Paul's writing, those former dispensations have been set aside. And a dominating one was the dispensation of conscience. And it had been initiated very, very early, I think, right after the fall. Uh, God had given the faculty of conscience to every person, but it needed instruction. And there's a lot of evidence here that uh, at the beginning, uh, there was much instruction of that conscience given by God, surely from that heavenly revelation and the other teachings that were passed down. But when there's less and less proper instruction of the conscience, then the conscience is still there, but it's misleading in its uh, <laughs> indicators, you might say. It, it guides and leads in the wrong way so often. And yet, Paul does write in chapter 2 about this conscience and how important it was during that entire period for the Gentiles who didn't have any other revelation from God other than the heavenly revelation and whatever was embedded then in their conscience. For us today, it's difficult to imagine. Conscience today is not properly instructed <laughs> so often, right? Children grow up with, with uh, no guidance and direction there to speak of, at least none of the right sort. And they, in fact, are led off in ways that are evil and even find their conscience, it seems, approving such evil. I wonder how far it really goes, though, because I think even today the conscience is still to some degree active in a proper way in all. But that's just my opinion. But the bottom line is that all, whether Jew or Gentile, uh, had enough revelation that God was properly able to hold them accountable. And now we go on in Romans chapter 2 to learn more of this. Uh, and there's a great revelation indeed here. Um, so in uh, verses 4 through 10 in Romans I hope you're open in your Bibles to that, Romans chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, give Paul's view of this, which is that there was still available a knowledge of God's, in fact, not only some goodness, but the riches of God's goodness, and his forbearance and his long suffering. And in fact, it's written there that the goodness of God was leading Gentiles to repentance. <laughs> if only they would be willing. Huh? Hmm. So 
God was working in hearts uh, through the conscience and what had been placed there by him. So the bottom line is that all were held accountable. Now, let's just jump into this today and get further uh, and understand better these foundational truths that, that Paul is revealing here in his letter to the Romans. Uh, the Romans dispensationally considered. The outline today is this, this. First of all, Gentiles and Jews must be distinguished, at least dispensationally. In other words, as far as how God had revealed himself to them and how he was working in their uh, midst. So Gentiles and Jews must be distinguished, at least dispensationally. That'll be a major point here in chapter 2 of Romans. Secondly, the true Judaism under Moses' law was, this may shock you as I put it in this terminology, but the true Judaism under Moses' law was firstly a matter of the heart. Oh, you might have thought otherwise. It was just a matter of works. And Paul is going to point out otherwise it was firstly a matter of the heart. Thirdly, to, brief, to prevent hypocrisy, truth demands a proper application to oneself. <laughs> if we uh, seek truth and uh, do not apply that truth to ourselves, we become hypocrites. And that's a very sad thing indeed, but so common, isn't it? We all know about it. And fourthly, the true Judaism under Moses' law demanded more than anyone could provide. And therefore, it led to some real issues in life. It demanded more than anyone could deliver. Well, where did that leave the Jews, huh? Well, you can well imagine where it led them. Okay, so first of all, Gentiles and Jews must be distinguished, at least dispensationally. And and uh, verses 4 through 10, therefore, describing two ways of life. And I think th this is hard for us to grasp, because if we don't understand that Paul is writing here about different dispensational programs, then we'll be thinking that everything he's writing there is true for us today. In other words, when he highlights works, we're going to conclude that works are required for salvation today. And many go to these verses to try to prove that incorrectly, of course. But what Paul is doing is contrasting two ways of life, looking at it from the highest level, looking down on humanity from the fall in the Garden of Eden all the way up to his current day and how God had related to humanity throughout that period. And looking at it from the highest level, there were two ways of life. There was the life of believers on the one hand, and there was the life of unbelievers on the other. And if you were going to characterize that at the highest level, how would you do that? Okay, Some, see, they had all received revelation from God. That's what we've already seen here in our earlier studies. 
they had not all believed what they had received, but they had all received enough revelation from God that God could properly hold them accountable, right? But there's a big difference between the lives of believers and the lives of unbelievers. How can anyone deny it, right? And then eventually, the Lord God singles out a people for his name, as it were, out of um, the family of Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob. And he, in fact, creates 12 tribes and a nation of 12 tribes. And he gives them special revelation that the others had never received and and that were not actually uh, designed for them. In fact, the Gentiles were left going along for these thousands of years without that revelation, right? So there was a di- distinction then between Jews and Gentiles that one cannot deny. But throughout this whole time, and this could be true for Jews as well as Gentiles, but certainly the conscience was very active. And uh, I'd like us to begin today with Gail reading to us about that, but how active the conscience was <laughs> as God used that in the lives of humanity. So, Gail, would you read to us about that in Romans chapter 2, verses 11 through 16? For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles would have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean, while accusing or else excusing one another. And the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Thank you, Gail. Okay, so who are we to judge the plan and program of God? I mean, uh, these verses make it very clear that God worked through the conscience. I mean, it couldn't be clear, right? And as a result, he even says Gentiles, had law written even in their hearts. You see that, verse 15. And therefore their conscience was properly instructed concerning that, and they could live according to that law or not. If they did, uh, they would be uh, righteous according to the demands of the law, right? If they did not, they would be disobedient. And they were going to be judged accordingly, it says here, based upon what God had worked in them and and, uh, through them to accomplish his purpose. Now, we could say, as so many commentators have, well, this is not about any real person. It's just hypothetical. Many, many people say that, that it's just hypothetical because we know so well that nobody is righteous before God. All are sinners, and therefore nobody could be justified as Paul Uh, describes it here, as if somehow he's just hypothesizing. I don't believe that uh, for a moment. He makes it very clear that it was a reality. 
for many. And in fact, all you need to do is read the book of Job and find out about one man for whom it was reality, okay? And now where did Job get his uh, instruction? Well, I think it was from the heavenlies and from what had been passed down, definitely. Uh, He knew about God. In fact, remember how Job confessed. He says, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand upon this earth, right? And there will be a resurrection required. He knew that before he would see God, because he says, in my flesh shall I see God. So take Job as the uh, the example. A Gentile living before Abraham many years earlier, and uh, yet he knew God, and you can read all about him and uh, how different his life was from those unbelievers that surrounded him. And so Paul writes about how God worked in the Gentile world with the revelation that had been given. Praise God. That's uh, that's the dispensation of conscience revealed there so clearly. Now, there are other dispensational plans as well that came afterwards, but this conscience continued on. So the others were added to it. Okay, so for example, through Noah, uh, Noah brought law in a civil sense to this planet. He instituted it. He was the guide and and, uh, administrator of it. He he was the patriarch. Uh, above all patriarchs at the time, right? And he lived to be a very, very ancient age. Uh, So there were many, many countless generations that flowed out after him. And the nations of the world that were constituted had law, therefore, that had come down from him. And so the dispensation of, uh, what would we call it, Human government, it's what it's normally called, uh, was added on to that uh, one based on the conscience. Okay, so one thing gets added to another. And then there, finally, Abram, Abram's called out and a new dispensation begins, which is based upon the promise of God revealed to Abraham. This is a special revelation. Not everyone received this revelation. Abraham received this revelation, right? And it changed everything for him and for his posterity, right? And eventually the nation of Israel comes out of that heritage, okay? The dispensation of promise was based upon promises added, to what had been given before. And finally, hundreds of years later, the dispensation of law. Paul writes a lot about how law was added and couldn't cancel out the previous unconditional promises. We'll get to that eventually as we study Romans dispensationally considered. Okay, so Paul is going through now, step by step here, the dispensational plan of God Uh, in his letter to the Romans, very carefully, step by step. Now the subject changes, though, when we get to the next section. And we'll see now how the true Judaism under Moses' law was firstly a matter of the heart. (laughs) 
Okay, his focus shifts radically now to the Jews. And and let's read about that, because the Jews had totally perverted in their understanding Moses' law, making it into a religious system that they thought they could to be quite satisfied with and live up to its requirements uh, fully. It's a lie, okay? Uh, they'd perverted Moses' law greatly to come to that view, but that's where they were. And when Paul is writing to them uh, here in the letter to the Romans, writing, writing mostly to Gentiles, but he has to address the Jews as well, of course, as they were at the time living in a perverse, false religious system that was supposed to have been fully based upon Moses' law, but was far different from that, been greatly perverted. So what Paul is going to be doing here is uh, interpreting now in this section Moses' law as it really was. (laughs) And so I'd like uh, Brenda to read about that in Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Okay, so thank you, Brenda. So what what Paul is doing now, he's switching the subject from the Gentiles to the Jews. The big difference was the Jews had been given a special revelation by God through Moses. And now nearly, well, I mean, how many years has passed since then? Uh, A long time has passed down here to the first century. And these Jews, Paul's writing about here, they claim to rest in the law, in other words, uh, arrogantly, uh, self-righteously, right? And they boast, you see the language used here, uh, really highlights their failures so greatly. They make their boast of God, that they know his will. They approve the things that are more excellent. They are the ones who are instructed out of the law. They are confident and a guide to the what? To the others. Well, they're the blind, right? They're the ones that see the others are blind. In other words, the Gentiles are the ones that the Jews saw as being completely set aside with no possible knowledge of God. A guide to the blind, a light to those who are in the darkness, an instructor of the foolish. So foolish, in other words, they are even mentally um, incapacitated from the Jewish perspective. A teacher of babes, they're like children that can never learn and they're stuck in their infancy. And then he says, who have the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. So what was happening there is that they were all virtue signaling, to use a contemporary term of our day, right? And this is exactly what 
happens when humanity places itself under law. One ends up being a hypocrite because one cannot even keep his own law, let alone God's, right? Uh, law condemns inevitably. And that's what he is revealing here. All they had really, since the knowledge of the true law had been perverted down through many centuries of false teachers, right? All they really had was a form, it says, sort of the outward expression uh, of uh, what the law really said. But what was in the heart was the issue. Their heart was corrupt and dark indeed. And law does have this effect. Uh, Paul writes about it greatly in Romans chapter 7. We'll get to it later, Lord willing. But in chapter 3 of Romans, verse 20, he explicitly says it in a few words. He says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Well, that's a very harsh criticism of legalists. Legalism is a very dangerous thing indeed. A very harsh criticism because what Paul is really saying is that Jews who were claiming to live under and by the law uh, were, even by the power of God, incapable of pleasing God. I mean, that's what he's really saying here. I mean, what they were in a really tough situation at that time. The whole uh, sacrificial system had been set aside. It was no longer uh, being practiced. It couldn't be. There wasn't even a temple. Uh, that you know, There wasn't even an altar uh, acceptable to God in Jerusalem at that time, right? So the Jews who claimed to be Law keepers, <laughs> all they could really do was was plead for the mercy of God because God was standing in judgment of them, and I'm sure some of them did plead for the, plead for the mercies of God, but God had not promised that mercy. In fact, uh, he what he had promised was judgment someday, right? And so the Jew was in a tough situation, and. Um, that was the condition at the time. Now, let's continue on because Paul is going to explain himself in some detail now as he continues. And we'll only have time to look at a little bit of it. I wish we had more time today, but we don't. But the third point is that, because you know, as you've seen, hypocrisy is the problem. So third point is that to prevent hypocrisy, truth demands a proper application to oneself. You know what the Lord said about it. He said, you're judging another. You should first take the speck out of your, well, rather the log out of your own eye before you look at the specks in others' eyes. Okay. Um, so the Jew was in a tough situation. Uh, they had become, through their religious system, legalists of the worst kind, really, and uh, therefore they could boast in all these ways that he's just uh, pointed out. But it was all merely a show because it didn't 
point to any inward reality. In other words, the truth was not written on their hearts. So there was no work of God in the hearts. All there was was a show of self-righteousness. But what do we see around us today? But the same, right? It's not Moses' law today, but it's uh, other principles that are being uh, taught everywhere, even to the youth in our schools. Well, let's see what he says now in verses 21 through 24 about this, uh, because what Paul is going to write now about the law should call all legalists to uh, uh, cower in uh, fear before an almighty holy God because of the severity of what's written here. So, Linda, please read verses 21 through 24. Thou, therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorreth idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, though breaking the law, that the, the law dishonoreth thou God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Linda. So here in four verses, he's he's able to summarize the whole situation of the Jew who had been given a very special revelation from God. And yet that special revelation uh, wasn't uh, being uh, taken that seriously. In other words, they didn't take God seriously at his word when he laid the law upon them. And you remember how that was back there when Moses came down off the mount that was burning with fire and shaking with earthquakes and so forth and presenting presented the law. Well, couldn't do it because they were all living in idolatry. They would have all been uh, uh, executed for their idolatry, even Aaron, Moses' brother, who was a leader of the group, right? You remember that well. And so God God held off a bit, but he did, again, give the law later. And uh, therefore, uh, the hundreds and hundreds of requirements, both positive requirements and negative prohibitions, uh, condemned them uh, every place they turned. Uh, They had no excuse. But they went on in self-righteousness. And here it summarizes their self-righteousness in these different ways. There are four examples given. I find them all very interesting. Uh, uh, We don't have time to comment much. But uh, he mentions teaching right off. He says, uh, who are you teaching? Others, or what about yourself, right? <laughs> and this is a constant problem for teachers uh, to uh, teach others and not apply their words to themselves. It's the standard fare for all teachers who have the temptation, of course, of the flesh, and this is so common. And we're all subject to this uh, um, possibility, this, this uh, area of temptation. Then he mentions adultery. You remember adultery. Well, first he mentions stealing before adultery. Stealing is a very interesting one, I think, 
because there's so many dimensions to it. Basic idea being somebody else owns something, they have the rights to it, and you find a way to take it for yourself <laughs> through uh, open or more stealthy hidden means. However, right, through lies, through violence even, how, however it might be. But uh, stealing is also very subtle. Many steal things and no one ever knows, right, what they have stolen. Uh, and that's so it's a very interesting uh, subject indeed and has application everywhere. We can all look back in our history to the things that we have stolen. I hope we haven't forgotten. And then he says, there's this issue of adultery. And you remember the Lord wrote about it and spoke about adultery, rather. He spoke about adultery under the kingdom law uh, uh, teaching, where he mentions uh, lust in one's heart. Yeah, so, you know, what the Lord did in his teaching, uh, preaching of kingdom law was to extend adultery far beyond certain acts but uh, even into the heart itself. It's just amazing, really, the depth of his uh, definition, redefinition of adultery there. But even under Moses' law, adultery was uh, uh, defined very clearly, and uh, yet many, of course, uh, as he says here, committed it. Then he mentions the idols and idolatry. Well, that's an even broader subject. Paul writes about idolatry, and in fact, he, he says covetousness is idolatry in uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Hmm. Well, that means all are subject to it, because covetousness is simply wanting something that actually uh, one has no right to uh, under the provisions of God, right? And uh, and then when one receives it, wanting even more of it, there's no end <clears throat> to the evils of covetousness. And he says it is idolatry. Okay. And so the problem was the law was given to the Jews for their obedience. And yet, as Paul writes a lot about in chapter 7 of Romans, uh, the law encouraged the flesh. And so the end result was a religious system uh, that uh, held all in bondage uh, they couldn't escape from. Uh, so even with the help of God, uh, a Jew under the law of Moses could not keep it and therefore stood under condemnation. Yes, a sacrificial system was provided to allow a limited fellowship with the Lord God nevertheless. But when that was removed, finally, the nation was in some real serious straits. And that's how it was for hundreds and hundreds of years before Paul wrote this letter. Well, let's look at the last part here. And we don't have time. So next time we need to come and focus in on these verses again. But if you look at them, and I'd like Elizabeth to read them for us, because here what Paul does is to speak of the essence, uh, really, of uh, the true 
law and and how how that actually worked as God saw it. And even Gentiles were uh, included in this uh, in this writing. So, Elizabeth, please read for us verses 25 through 29. For circumcision verily profiteth, if through if thou keepeth the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, and sorry, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Thank you, Elizabeth. Well, I, I consider, I think you'll probably agree, uh, that these verses say very, very, very much <laughs> that uh, stretches our minds out beyond <laughs> their capabilities without the the work of the Spirit to teach us uh, the, the true meaning of this, we would be at a loss, wouldn't we? I mean, Paul is getting here into what the true law was all about. Yes, it was a matter of the heart. Uh, firstly, no question about it, because otherwise the works that the law demanded would not have any foundation. They would be, in a sense, meaningless. They're, they're just like today where so many are virtue signaling about this or that, but the, there's no truth at all behind it in their hearts. They're, they're just sinners promoting themselves ultimately. They're really saying they are keeping God's law and that we should all be so impressed by that. But that's not the essence of true law either. And Paul is uh, going to write about it uh, elsewhere. But here in these verses, five verses, he gets to the heart of the matter in a way that even Gentiles are included. You see that. Well, I want us to start here next time because I want us to try to get into these verses uh, uh, more carefully than we have time to do now. But you notice what it says. It talks about circumcision being a matter of the heart. The circumcision of the heart, (laughs) verse 21. Who is the true Jew? Well, the true Jew may be a Gentile, says here, verse 29. He is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Oh, my. So the bottom line is, even with all the help of God, a Jew who had placed himself 
to the best of his ability under the law, could never be justified before God. Why not? Well, because he needed for that, he needed uh, to tr fully trust in what God had revealed, and he was not doing that. He was believing a story that had been told uh, by teachers who were uh, promoting evil, and uh, they were not teaching the proper understanding of the law because they didn't know it. So, praise God, though, there was a way out, and uh, Paul has the message of salvation, which is through the one man, Jesus Christ. He not only paid the full penalty of all of our sins, but by believing on him, he even gives us the gift, really, of his righteousness. So oh, praise God. Praise God for the righteousness of our Lord Jesus, imputed to our accounts. And that's the essence of the message of grace. See, what Paul is doing here is revealing, down to the different dispensations of God, what their essence was, because all were held accountable by what God had revealed. Okay? And, and yet, all of those dispensational periods pointed forward to one yet to come, right? And uh, wherein the seed of the woman would actually come forth into this world to fulfill the law fully and to bring uh, a righteousness ultimately, which was far different than what anybody ever could have imagined. Oh, my, what a blessing it is to know his grace today. So the blessings of God under grace are freely given to us, even the very righteousness of God in Christ, whether a Jew or Gentile in one's heritage. There's only one man today, Jesus Christ, who provides that blessing. Praise the Lord, all. Well, I hope that you're enjoying uh, Paul's letter to the Romans dispensationally considered. So, any comments before we close in prayer today? Hi, Jim. Thank you for the message. It's absolutely wonderful. And uh, as I was reading the Romans 2.29, uh, it just, an uh, image just came up. It's uh, actually about Ruth. Uh, just a couple of weeks, weekends ago, uh, Elizabeth and I and Lydia went to watch this uh, 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 show, Ruth, actually made by the local uh, Christian community. Right. And when, when I think of Ruth, it's very interesting because her son is obeyed. Uh, it's a father of Je uh, Jesse and grandfather of David. That's right. Important. And interesting part is Ruth was Moabite and mm -hmm. her husband's mother uh, was Canaanite, Rahab. <laughs> right. So you look at uh, Obeyed. It's very interesting because he only had one quarter of Jews. Mm -hmm. And yet the line of David was chosen from her. 
uh, you know, Ruth and Rahab. So yeah. I just want to point this out. It's absolutely fascinating. It is. It really, really is. Uh, the will of God will be accomplished, and he will even use those that we would never have chosen, right? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lewis. Any other comments before we close today? I was just going to suggest in our closing prayer that we remember the hostages mm-hmm. and their families. Yes. Uh, oh, the world is in a very dark place, isn't it, Linda? Well, it's just heartbreaking to see those little children and the anguish that has to be felt by their, their parents. It's just, uh, I just thought we should remember them, you know. I had, it, I had it on my prayer list, but then when I was praying, I, I missed reading it, didn't see it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Israel's in the crosshairs of a, a large number of nations at this time, is it not? Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, there's so many uh, things to be thankful for, and and yet so many burdens we bear as we have so much concern that you've placed in us for others in their condition. And now we see uh, so clearly how evil is mounting against uh, this nation in a far place there, the nation of Israel, and its circumstances seem so uh problematic, uh, considering uh, the enemies that are aligned around it. But, Father, we also know from your word that you've made promises. And so uh, we will uh, wait and see, Father, how you will work. But we do pray for deliverance for those who have been taken hostage. There are so many, and so many others have died uh, already in this conflict. Uh, But many are hostages and uh, may not fare well, but we sure pray, Father, that you would work to accomplish their deliverance from the clutches of the enemy. And Father, we pray that you'd give wisdom to our leaders here in this nation that turn out to be so important at this time, if only they would make proper decisions and that those proper decisions might be carried out well and uh, that there might be an influence in the world uh, for for righteousness and goodness and truth uh, still from our land. And Father, thank you for helping us all individually. May we be lights in this darkness and that we might see you working around us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.